Hello, folks. This episode is sponsored by italki. I was on italki today, actually, because I've been looking for a French teacher or someone who can talk to me and give me some language feedback um, just to improve my French. So I went on to italki and I found a teacher and I've basically signed up for a trial lesson, which is about probably a 30-minute conversation. He'll probably ask me about you know, reasons why I'm learning French, what my needs are, my level, stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, after that, we'll see how it goes. But I might uh, book myself in for some conversations. And what I'd like to do is have conversation with some language feedback, you know, where I can correct my errors and work on mistakes like that, you know. Um, so anyway, it's very easy. Um, and uh, if you want to do it, you can. there's loads of people who are out there to teach you English. Uh, just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk to get started. And when you buy some talking time, italki will give you a voucher which is worth one lesson free, which is nice. Okay, right then. So let's get this episode started. And here is the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there. Welcome back to this double episode in which I'm talking to language learner and polyglot Ollie Richards all about how to learn languages as an adult. Ollie speaks eight languages and spends a lot of time working on language courses and giving advice on his podcast and blog, which are both called I Will Teach You a Language. Uh, two years after our last conversation, it was interesting to catch up with Ollie and see if his approach to language learning has developed. In this episode, I talked to Ollie about how to overcome the intermediate plateau. We go into details about the magic of story and how important stories are in learning a language. We discuss the connection between pronunciation and personality and wonder if the main problem people have with pronunciation is actually an identity issue. There are also comments on learning in the classroom versus self-guided learning. There's absolutely loads of great advice in here. For premium subscribers, I'm doing a video which will sum up the main points and clarify them a bit. That will be available shortly in the app and online for premium members. But now, let's continue listening to Ollie as we have the rest of our conversation about language. <laughs> Hello, we're talking about language. Sit down, let's have a chat. A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Doctor, just a bit of a chat. What about, sir? About English as a global language. This is a conversation. Yes. I would like to talk to you. Okay, let's talk. Let's have a quick conversation, huh? What do you think? That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a conversation about language. I've got loads of other questions that I can ask you, Ollie, if you're, if you're happy to just hang around for a bit longer. Yeah, man. Okay, I'm, by you. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you if your if your attitude towards language learning has changed, but I think you kind of covered that earlier on when you started talking about the importance yeah. of the importance of sort of learning through stories uh, rather than through uh, another uh, your other systematic approaches. Have you abandoned any of the uh, techniques or habits that you used to use? You know, I. I I wouldn't say abandoned because that's a, that's I haven't I don't think I've you see what I my, my learning experiences recently have been in very different situations so you know before Japanese I was I was learning Cantonese and I'd kind of been going from beginner stage all the way up to high to you know to a 
you know, kind of intermediate-ish level. And um, so I've been using it, I've been doing a certain set of things with that. And then um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that you you would have heard me talk about a couple of years ago, two or three years ago on my website were related to how I was learning Cantonese as a beginner. Now I'm kind of turning my attention to, uh, I have been focused on Japanese as a more advanced learner and then now back to Italian as a beginner. So to a certain extent, like what I try to do is describe what I've, you know, what I've been learning and the things that I've been thinking about and try to, you know, contextualize them and, and present them on, on a plate for people to, to, to do with what they, what they will. I think I would say that in general, I've become a little bit more philosophical about the whole language learning thing. I think I, I'm much more concerned now with how a language fits into my life than actually you know, achievement as such in the last couple of years i've done a few projects and these are all on youtube as well so like you know for example a couple of years ago i went to thailand with my friend yan and um we learned thai in two weeks and i and i i again i documented this all on youtube got like daily videos of how i was learning thai and so you can see me going from like day one speaking no thai to having a half an hour conversation after after two weeks and that was a lot of fun, but the thing is, I went, I came back home to London after that, and then never used Thai again. So it was also that kind of experience was funny for me because I, I kind of tried to keep it up, but couldn't, and then ended up basically giving it up because it just didn't make any sense in my life. So that was a kind of a useful experience in the sense that now that I'm thinking about picking up Italian, I'm primarily concerned with what am I going to use it for? How does it? How's it going to work in my life? Uh, so, so really for me, because I'm learning Italian for a practical reason, my main concern is speaking and I want to be able to speak with the people that I meet. So the question is, if my main aim is speaking, being able to, let's, let's call it conversationally fluent, shall mm -hmm. we say, mm -hmm. if my main aim is to be conversationally fluent in Italian, then the question is, well, what's the quickest way to get there? And my kind of a hypothesis at the moment is that the quickest way to become conversationally fluent in a language is not through speaking, at least not at the beginning, is through a lot of input. And this is the big kind of departure from what I would have done a few years ago, where I would have started speaking from the beginning, speaking from day one. I'm not going to do that um, now. I, I don't think that's a useful way to, to go about it. So... Um, so yeah, so my my approaches are changing, and they are. I'm sure they will keep changing as well. And it would be interesting to have the same conversation in a few months from now, and mm -hmm. kind of see what I actually learned from the from the experience learning Italian. Yeah, because I really I really think you know you can you can pick up a new language very very quickly. I mean I, you know, I, there's a there's plenty of evidence all around to show that you can, and I and I try to demonstrate that as much as possible on my channel. The question is you know how to do it and and why why to do it as well. Um, which stage of learning a language is the uh, hardest? The beginning, the beginning, the middle, the higher levels? Where Where is it hardest? Well, I think hard, it kind of depends on what you're referring to. So I'd say the easiest is the beginning because it's fun and motivating and you're in love with the language. The hardest in terms of motivation is at the intermediate level because you hit this plateau where you stop seeing progress and you think, oh my God, I've been studying for months and months and I don't feel a drop of progress. 
and then the hardest technically is at the more advanced stages because you're just dealing with very nuanced advanced language concepts mm-hmm. um you know some of the weird things about english grammar for example you know you can imagine for if, if, if an english learner wanted to learn how to use the subjunctive in english you know um it's important that he take it seriously <laughs> right i mean yeah. that's not something you hear every day and it's because you don't hear it every day that it's difficult to learn because you kind of have to learn it logically yeah. cerebrally yeah so that's kind of technically the more difficult part okay do you have different approaches at different levels like i mean you've yeah, we've talked about the definitely. beginning the beginning there what about how do you get out of the intermediate plateau lots and lots and lots of listening and reading okay all right there we go again with, with a transcript every time yeah it's really important because you know every time so, so you know holistic learning is about activating different parts of your brain and so when you listen, there's one part of your brain that activates. When you read, there's another part of your brain that activates. When you go through an experience, um, when you live an experience, a different part of your brain activates. When you speak, another part of your brain activates. So what you really want to do is to activate as many different senses as possible. So ideally, you would be reading something, listening to it, speaking it, and then writing it in all these different ways. Now, the magic of story is that when you uh, when you read or listen or hear a story, the parts of your brain that activate are the same parts that would activate were you actually living that story yourself. And that's what makes it such a powerful vehicle because everything becomes more memorable. Your whole brain is engaged in the in the, in the story, uh, and so the stuff that you read becomes much more memorable. And there are fMRI scans that have, that have demonstrated this. It's absolutely fascinating. It's why we cry in sad movies because we actually, in some part, feel that we are we are there as well. So um, you've got to do a lot of that kind of activity. And at the intermediate stage, you feel like you're not progressing because you know when you're a beginner, you know I can learn how to say bonjour, and I can use it in the street straight away. So I feel okay. I've learned something, and I can use it. That equals progress. Mm. But in the intermediate stage, you're learning this grammar and it doesn't have any impact on your communicative ability. You can learn all this grammar, but you're still communicating at the same level. So you feel like you're not progressing. So the only way to to, to the, the big challenge at intermediate level is to kind of not get too disheartened, not get too depressed and to keep going and to kind of bombard yourself with as much uh kind of rich holistic material as possible right it's it's a bit like you know climbing a mountain you you the the let's say the mountain has got a steep part at the beginning and then there's a long plateau and then there's another steep section maybe at the end but the long section in the middle could potentially get boring and you might feel like you're not really getting anywhere but the point is yeah just keep going you have to just uh make sure that you carry on um yeah 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 okay i'm gonna ask you a question about pronunciation Okay. Because I, I teach English in France. A lot of my students, uh, obviously, are French. Um, and uh, one of the issues that I come across on a regular basis as a teacher here is teaching French uh, people how to pronounce TH sounds. Mm. We'll, just, just use, we'll just use this as an example of a feature of pronunciation that's uh, difficult for certain, uh, you know, uh, certain people. So for the French, it's TH sounds. And uh, it can be really, really difficult for French people to pronounce th sounds. Can, 
my question for you though is about Spanish. Uh, okay. In Spanish, they they roll their R's. Can you roll your R's like uh, like a Spanish person? Like that. Very good. Now, d- d- could you do that like before? Did you have to learn that, or was that just something you had? Man, it took me two years to learn to do that. I was speaking for the for like two years without being able to do that. So when I if I wanted to say perro, which is perro is the word for dog, mm-hmm. I'd have to say perro, 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 perro. If I wanted to say um, que rico, how how nice, how delicious, mm-hmm. I'd have to say que rico, que rico, que rico. And I knew it was wrong. I just couldn't get the sound to come out. Mm. And then one day it just came out. Interesting. But after uh, two years of tr- two years of trying, it just came out. Okay. Did you did you do specific um, practice of that sound on its own? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, totally wrong though. You would have, you would have seen me just going <laughs> like just contorting my mouth into the most weird position to try and figure it out. See, I, I later realised that the key to rolling your R is the amount of air that's coming through your mouth. It's not what you do with your tongue. Mm-hmm. So, when you see people teaching how to roll your, they'll, they'll tell you where to put your tongue and stuff. Yeah, like on the on the on your palate, on the roof of your mouth. Yeah, and yeah, that that's important, but it doesn't work unless you've got a flow of air coming through your mouth in the first place. So, where's that air coming from? Your diaphragm. Well, it's as if you go. It's as if you go. <sighs> right. So that's yeah. It's like um, it's from the an aspirate, like an aspirated H. Yeah. In so it the- basically, comes from the back, doesn't it? It comes from your diaphragm, not from. Because I guess what people are mentally placing their their attention on the tongue, but you're going. So it's actually coming from. Well, I mean, I'm exaggerating. I mean, you can't yeah. obviously when you're when you're speaking quickly, you can't breathe that that deeply. But right. it's just more about you. You know, when you get used to it, you can. You know, because often these these rolled R's are very subtle. You know, you've got um, you, you know, you've got like in the middle of a word like arriba or arriba, and you want to be able to say it softly. So from arriba to arriba. Um, and you can't put that much air mm. that quickly going through, uh, but you can put little bits of air once you once you're kind of aware that you need mm. you need to do that. So I don't I wouldn't say it comes from the diaphragm necessarily. It's more like just okay. like yeah. kind of I, I don't really know how yeah, to describe it. You kind of push push the sound through rather than it just being yeah. your tongue. But that I mean, um, but but the point is you uh, focus specifically on that. And you practiced it again and again and again. And did you ever think to yourself, "I'll never get this"? Yeah, I thought I just I just thought there was some genetic reason that I couldn't do it. Uh huh. And why did you not? I, why did you not then kind of just accept it that you couldn't do it? What was I mean, the, I think I, I think I probably did. Yeah, but it didn't stop me. Didn't stop me trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the thing about the rolled R is that it, ne- it never actually matters that much. I mean, you can still. If I were to speak Spanish to you now without using a rolled R at all, you would still, under, or a Spanish person would still understand everything they say. Yeah, they would just, it would just be a little bit off. But of course, there are Spanish speakers and Italian speakers who can't roll that R. Really? Yeah. Yeah, people don't re- don't realize this, but you know, I've met people before who are Spanish native speakers but can't roll their R, and they just they just kind of they bluff it and they get around it, and it's just normal it's actually the same thing in english with th sounds because there are plenty of native speakers who don't do th sounds yeah, like yeah. you know cockneys that, that right in it got that yeah like what do you think what do you think about that what do you think what do you do think, you think yeah. do, do you do, do you think that do you think that is easy do you do you think that is hard to 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 do the 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 th the sound 
Um, I think it's I think it's really really hard. <laughs> and you know what? I've been trying to do TH sounds for thirty thirty three years, Ollie. Thirty three. Thirty three years I've been trying to do TH sound. Still can't do it. You know what? I'm I've I've had it, I've had it up to here with with uh, with TH with, uh, sounds. Yeah, it's well uh, it's well hard, isn't it? Yeah. So there are native speakers who can't do it too. So I guess that just means it's, it is actually quite a difficult thing to get. But let's say, as a little example, my French uh, learners who struggle with uh, the TH sound, I mean, maybe an obvious question, but what's your advice to them? Well, first of all, you've got to want to get it right. There's a, there's a guy on YouTube, I can't remember his name, he, he, I think he, he's new, he does pronunciation breakdowns, and he's got a great video of, of, uh, of Macron speaking English, and he shows how, he, uh, how his French interferes with his, his French pronunciation, interferes with his English pronunciation. It's really, really good. Yeah. I'll have to try and dig out the video for you. But, um, you know, when you, one of the things about speaking other languages is that you have to be willing to let your personality you have to be willing to adopt the personality of the language that you're speaking. So when I speak more languages, I my personality shifts in an instant into that language um, in some way or another. It's difficult to explain exactly what that is, but I do become a slightly different person, um, in, in, partly in order to accommodate the other person. Because, you know, if you if I turned up in Japan yeah. and started speaking Japanese in the same way that I'd speak English, you know, kind of directly looking at someone in the eye, asking them direct questions. So like speaking English, but with Japanese words, um, it would be very, very unsettling for them. It, it wouldn't be ni- a nice experience for them. They'd be very uncomfortable. So I have to, um, I have to change my personality in some way in order to, uh, meet halfway the person that i'm speaking to do you mean you just you do a japanese impression i guess you could say that it's the same thing happens when i meet brazilians like you can't be boring when you're speaking portuguese <laughs> like if i if i speak portuguese like i speak english they just say Man, are you okay like you know something happened what's wrong with you because i'm just like Eng- you know we're just not particularly animated as, as native english speakers but brazilians are, are like you know like from the beginning it's like yay hey, que beleza uh it's like you have to kind of meet them on that level right right so my and i don't know i'm i'd be willing to accept that i'm wrong about this but i suspect that french people on the whole being very proud of their of their culture of their language do not easily slip into the shoes of an english person right um and so I, I, I've, I've noticed that, people, that French people, when they're speaking English, and the same thing happens with other languages as well, uh, Spanish, I'll just, I'll just like this as well. They, it's like they're kind of, they're kind of, you, you imagine a child going to school on the first day, like the teacher is kind of pulling them into school and the child's still holding onto their mum and they won't let go. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a little bit like that with language. With with with, with languages, I think often you would you'd have uh, uh, French people who would kind of just be still holding on to their Frenchness while still logically trying to speak English. And it does, doesn't work because you have to kind of go hook, line, and sinker into the personality of the language you're speaking. So hook, line, and sinker being 
<laughs> you'd have to be all in. It's like when you're playing poker, like you have all in. Hook, line, and, and sink. Be- hook, line, and sink is from fishing, isn't it? So it's like when a fish takes not just the hook, but they also take the line and they take the sinker, which is a little weight, usually made of lead or something that that helps the the uh, the line to go to sink in the water. So if the fish took it took it hook, line, and sinker, it means the fish took the entire thing. Uh, the hook, the line, and the the weight, the sinker. So if you if you you know do something or take something hook line and sinker or go in hook line and sinker, it's like you go in all the way taking everything. Yeah, you have to you have to be, you have to become your personality has to become the 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 personality of the other of the other language. So uh, and so and so I just, and so just to finish off that thought, that is why I I think often you get French people speaking English without really making the effort that they need to to pronounce English correctly. Because if they really want to pronounce that th accurately, they can. I mean, you, you know, you can do it in the classroom with them, right? And they get it right. It's just that when they go out into the real world, you know, you've got a lot of emotional baggage out there. You've got, you know, nerves about speaking English. You're a little unsure of yourself. You So you kind of retreat into your, your mother tongue perhaps to, for some sense of security. And, and, you know, when you really pronounce another language like a native speaker, you can feel very uh, uncomfortable psychologically. You know, you can feel like you are being a bit false even. You're, being some, you're becoming someone that you're not. But ultimately that's necessary in order to speak the language accurately. And that includes the pronunciation because it's, to get correct pronunciation, you have to be – you have to bring your your mind, your body, um, everything together to pronounce it the way the, the correct way. So it's not just like uh, physical factors about whether someone can place their lips and their tongue in the right place and all that stuff and push the air through. It's not just the the physical stuff, but it's also social factors and psychological factors, which might mean that. Um, you know, someone actually sort of blocks themselves from going all the way in hook, line, and sinker when it comes to speaking another language. So, yeah, I, I I totally see where you're coming from on that one. And in fact, I've spoken to French people about this very thing. I can't remember mm. who I was talking to now, but recently I was talking to a French girl. She was talking about why um, French people perhaps struggle with this, with the, the with pronunciation in particular, like accent. And she was saying that, um, that that French people judge each other quite harshly. First of all, don't know why this is, but pe- you know that people judge each other quite a lot. And so often French people feel that they can't win because if, as a French person, you speak English with a really good accent, then they're gonna they're worried that other French people will look at them and go, "Oh, look at this, look at this asshole who's with their perfect English," you know. And well, then, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Imagine if, if the shoe was on the other foot, and you know, if you're, if you're with your English mates, and then you, uh, uh, tu commences à, à parler le français un peu comme ça, tu vois qu'on l'accent français, le, 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 uh, you know, with, with your mm. with your with your mouth and your you know, you're kind of shrugging, and yeah. you're, you're gonna see, you're gonna they're gonna look at you, and go, what the hell, you what are you doing? <laughs> you're gonna feel like a like a like a like an alien, right? Because yeah, it, I can because, under, yeah, because, I can understand it. it you know, in 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 the ter- in the terms of your like the way that your friends are and the way that you know it it feels completely wrong, um, and so like y- there is a psychological weight and a cost to that, and it's um 
you know, you really have to be brave mm. to, to go all in. But again, it's one of those things like it's a line you have to cross. And when you cross the line and you experience what it's like to speak a language with all of your emotion, like committed emotionally as well, then you realize actually that is how to speak a language. That's how to to do it. Is that a breakthrough? That, is that a breakthrough moment then when that happens? It's a, break, it's a breakthrough moment. And that is how you... Um, that's how you really, you know, I made a, I made a, a video once in Portuguese about this question, like how to develop a perfect accent. And um, I, I, no, I don't claim that my accents are, are perfect, but I think they tend to be quite good. And one of the things that I can trace it back to, in every case, it, it's the experience of actually being part of a community of people. Because when you're part of a community of people in the language that you're learning, you have to be like them. Like you have to try to, 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 to be like they are the what the things that they say the way that they speak that's how you develop a good relationship with with those people mm. right mm-hmm. and so once you once you speak i mean to take french as an example you know once you speak french with that very french accent and you have and then you you, you get used to speaking to people like that you can't then go back to speaking french with an english accent because it's just totally it's totally wrong because you you understand what the personality is on the other side. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like psychology is 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 always it's like a, it's like a, a shadow, a cloud hanging over the whole the whole of language learning that has to be has to be dealt with. Yeah, abs- absolutely. That's why as uh, that's why us uh, language teachers often talk about also being therapists. You hear that all the time that, you know, TEFL teachers saying, I'm not just a teacher, I'm also a therapist that I have to kind of, uh, you know, work to give psychological support or therapy to my students, which is absolutely true. I think, I think that it is uh, a very, um, it's wrapped up in people's feelings. um, And, you know, the voice, your voice is all about, you know, who you really are. So yeah, that's, it's very interesting point that when you um, accept that you have to become a sort of different person or maybe you have to let your identity shift into uh, the language that you're learning that can be a breakthrough moment it, it may f- as you said feel scary because it can feel like your identity is slipping or something um, but uh, yeah you've got to just go all in you have to just go for it um, and uh, and ultimately, it, it feels like a risk. It feels like it's sort of dangerous or or uncomfortable. Uh, but ultimately, what lies on the other side is something a lot more valuable than what where you are right now. It's just it's kind of like jumping into the water or something, isn't it? You, you yeah, know, you stand yeah. on the edge, kind of like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You know, we've all been there. You know, jump jumping yeah. into the sea or jumping into a swimming pool uh, at the beginning of your holiday, and you're like, oh, I don't want to jump in. And then you do, and and there's a shock for a moment. But then, of course, it's so much nicer when you when you're in the water. I guess it's kind of like that, making a jump. Just to finish what I was saying about what that French girl said to me, she said, um, "You can't win because if you speak." english with a, a with a good accent then other people are going to look at you and uh hate you for it <laughs> whereas if you speak uh, if you speak english with a really strong french accent then the other people will look at you and hate you for that too you know so kind of like some people feel like they can't win but that's that is i suppose when you're um you see th- this is I, I think something that people who are learning english have to deal with the situation where they're speaking english in front of lots of other people uh, lots of their other fellow um 
in the case of French people, they're having to speak English in front of lots of other French people. Like, for example, it's a business meeting and one person mm. who they're talking to is English. And so the whole meeting is like, okay, let's switch to English. And they all, all the French people feel so uncomfortable in that scenario yeah. because they're going to be judged either for being too good or not being good enough. And so, you know, it's a really tricky line for them to, to walk there. The identity of someone who has to speak a second language in front of other people who also are speaking that second language, even though it's not their native language. It's like a really difficult um, circle to, what is it, to square. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because I've never really, never really thought about that. For me, the, the, um, the, the challenge I have is always I, I think about how I appear to the people that I'm speaking to in the language. So if I, I, I would get you know, nervous, for example, if I was in Japan and I had to speak Japanese in front of a bunch of Japanese people. How would you because, how how would you feel in front of a bunch of English people also who are learning Japanese and there's the, maybe that sense of competition between all the people of like you know who's got the best well, Japanese I certainly I certainly I mean that's a, that's definitely a thing and um but but I wouldn't I don't think I would feel bad for if let's say I was the I had the best Japanese I don't think I would feel guilty about that in the, in the slightest hmm. I wouldn't feel like I I had to speak with an English accent in order to be in order to stay cool, you know. Maybe that, maybe, um, that, maybe that's a French thing. Maybe it's that kind of collective culture that that they have here in France a bit more than the individualism that that we have in the UK. Maybe it's something to do with that. I, yeah, we're getting into some very interesting areas here, and I think it's it's got. I don't know what the. Yeah, it's it's not it's not something I've thought much about. I, I certainly know that that my the way that I tend to judge myself is 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 through the eyes of the the people in the sort of target community mm. um the target language community yeah and I, and i always try my best i think maybe that's why you know i tend to do fairly well with accents because i always try my best to make to to be as as like them as i can yeah well i guess what what i tend to say to my french learners is i say to them well <laughs> don't worry about it don't worry about it if people are judging you then that's their problem isn't it and ultimately, I think that uh, if that is a, a thing that's specific to the culture, which is that the, it's a culture of, of people comparing themselves to each other and, and uh, you know, not being too good but not being too bad, then maybe it's time to just not worry about that and don't judge other people and don't judge yourself. I don't know. Maybe people are just too too nervous and you know people you need to relax right you need to be able to relax and um not stress out too much about these kinds of things don't be too self-conscious in any situation as a general rule yeah it's always easy to, easier to say than it is to do yeah it? absolutely. As, as ever as ever it's like the proof is in the pudding right and uh, mm-hmm. and i think i think when you are you know in that kind of situation that you're in when you're teaching english to to French people in a French environment, so English is very much a foreign language. You know, I think the the way I would wonder whether they, your students there, would ever really be able to understand what it means to master that English th sound, and without actually going and spending time in an English environment surrounded by English by native English speakers, because if you think about it, unless they do that, how are they ever really going to? get a sense of what that sound should be in its social context with other english 
speaking people. Yeah, if they just spend four hours mm. a week uh, with me and a bunch of other French people learning with me, then, you know, they're going to yeah. get very limited exposure to the th sound. And so the, the vast majority of their experience in the week is going to reinforce the fact that going th is like a really weird thing to do. And just on a behavioral level, that uh, for French people, sticking your tongue out of your mouth, even just a tiny bit, so that it's outside the mouth in front of your yeah. teeth is like, what? That's crazy. That's, yeah. you know, that's disgusting even, you know. You, you always make, yeah. you know, I can always make my French students laugh by making a joke about sticking your tongue out. That they, they just find it hilarious. Just the whole idea yeah. that you have to stick your tongue out and that you're going to spit on the people you're talking to and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and that, you know. Well, you, you know, can, I think, I, I think like, I, I I don't think French people should complain too much about that because there are people, there are, you know, there are languages around the world who have much greater challenge learning English, you know, because French is a, is yeah. sort of a wide variety of sounds, yes. in it, right? But, yes. you know, for, for Japanese, they only have, uh, they only have five vowels, five vowel sounds. It's at, it, it, oh, that's it. There is no, there are no diphthongs, there's nothing like that. And so for Japanese people with a very limited set of, uh, of phonemes in their own language to have to then take on a language like English with all its assimilations and its uh, its catenation and all this stuff. Um, it is uh, much more difficult. The, 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 the pronunciation challenge is far higher for them. And it's, it's like having the third issue, but across the board yeah. in everything that you say. I mean, that that's that's tough. That's really tough. I, that actually something I do say to them. I say, look, you know, you can complain. Imagine you were Japanese. <laughs> yeah, you can complain as much as you like about how difficult it is to, to learn English. And I'm sure it is. You know, I'm not saying it's not, but I'm sure it is. But, you know, you must realize that you're also in a, you know, you've, you're in a pretty good position um, because uh, English and French are actually very close to each other, and for some, for many other uh, people, it's really hard. It's like harder than harder than this. So you know, you got no excuse. No excuses. <laughs> so easy to make excuses, though, isn't it? It's so easy to fall into the trap of of, of coming up with excuses and reasons why it's too difficult or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, and that's ultimately why. Like, I, I, in in my work, I often spend often spend less and less time talking about actual language learning and more about the kind of psychological side of it. It's like, look, just do something every day. Like, mm. Ollie, how do you learn a language? Look, go and study for an hour a day and then come back when you've, when you, when you've got, when you're doing that. And then we'll talk about how to, about techniques. But the, yeah. for your first step is do something every day. And until you're doing that, it doesn't matter what I tell you, it's not going to work. So go away, start learning, start studying every day, uh, and then when you've got that habit in place, come back and we'll talk about how to how to uh, improve what you're doing. Right. At, at the beginning of this, this conversation, when you sort of talked about how um, you've been using stories um, and you talked about the things that Stephen Krashen has written about during his career and he, you actually spoke to him on, on your podcast, which was a, a really great um uh, what's the word for it achievement uh a great great moment opportunity opportunity, opportunity. yeah that was fantastic i was really impressed that you spoke to stephen crash and i was very happy to hear you talking to him and it was you know great for us too because we got the chance to listen to to you two having that conversation and he has so many interesting things to say about language learning and um, doesn't doesn't he just absolutely. I mean, he's just uh it's amazing and what, what was most refreshing for me 
about that. And this was episode 220 of the, of the podcast, by the way. So if anyone wants to hear that, it's at um, I Will Teach You Language podcast episode 220. Um, what's so interesting about that is, you know, you know, Krashen, if you are, if you are familiar, if you're, if you're a linguist or if you're a language teacher and you studied Krashen, you, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but you probably have an impression of him as being a kind of stuffy old academic. Because that's where he's most well known for his work. You know, it's the input hypothesis. It's corporate. And like a lot of big words, which you have to study as a language teacher. Lang- but language you sit down, yeah. language acquisition, the monitor hypothesis. Well, all the, I mean, it's like fantastic stuff. But when you sit down and talk to him about language learning, he can talk you under the table with stories about how, about how he's been learning Chinese, German, Spanish, and... Um, and all the people that he's met and studied, and he's done case studies of polyglots and things like that. I mean, you know, the guy doesn't just write about languages and, and language acquisition. He goes off and he learns languages. And this is something I didn't really didn't fully appreciate uh, before my conversation with him. And it's something that a lot of other people have picked up on as well. Yeah, it's been very it's been very popular that I, and yeah. I, I published the video on YouTube as well. And um, a lot of people have just said, look, this, this it, they they haven't seen. Uh, anything before this is the first time people have seen a bridge between the, the kind of polyglot language learning community and the academic side of things yeah which has been you know fantastic because uh because they're, 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 why should they be disconnected you know yeah absolutely well yeah listeners you should go and check that out episode 220 uh of uh, i will teach you a language uh f- have a listen it's it's very interesting and it will i guess confirm many of the things that uh, my listeners hopefully already know and have already accepted about good ways to, to learn uh, a language. Um, but I, I brought that up, that's the, the Stephen Krashen interview and uh, your whole approach to learning languages through stories. Because uh, at the beginning of this conversation, you also talked about the kind of behavioural approach. And you mentioned the idea of maybe sort of more traditional forms of studying a language. But I, I guess that there are still so many people who are using the more conventional or traditional approaches for learning a language um, and include, you know, most of the language schools, I think probably still use those approaches. I'm talking about, for example, you know, studying grammar and, and, you know, for example, just looking at any of the published materials from Oxford or Cambridge, uh, Mm -hmm. you'll have a grammar section at the back of the book with some grammar exercises and there'll be a grammar and speaking part in in the textbook where they present the grammar in a conversation and then you kind of do various exercises and then there's a an activity where you uh, are supposed to use the grammar uh, my question about grammar is like you know uh, to what extent do you think it's useful to use those grammar uh, practice exercises like yeah, I mean- read, reading the rules of grammar and then attempting to do gap fills uh, in which you're supposed to put the verb in the right form and all that stuff. Do, I, do you think that stuff's useful? Well, well, look, I mean, there are plenty of studies that show that a focus on form does help the, the, the learning process. So to translate that into plain English, basically, we know from from studies and from just, you know, personal experience and observation that some traditional study does help. Okay. The question here is... <clears throat> Do you set about learning grammar by learning, by reading the rules and then trying to apply those rules? Or do you set about learning grammar by just noticing how it works in stories that you read 
things that you hear, and then looking at the rules to just check your understanding. And then you go back to your reading and your listening and you keep going. That's the key difference. And the way that, um, you know, like there's certain, certain you know, task-based methodologies in, in language teaching try to meet it both ways. So they'll say, you know, achieve, go and, you know, plan a party. You probably People listening have probably done this in their English class. You know, go and plan a party and invite the, write all the invitations for, for, for inviting the guests. And then at the end, the teacher will come back and then look at the grammar uh, in, in the focus on form section of the class and sort of, and then just try and highlight things. And that's a kind of, you know, task-based methodologies are a kind of good halfway house. The problem is that it's the system that's broken. Language classes, language schools, they are teaching students who expect to come to the class, be taught the language in the class, and then go home and forget about any homework or any obligation to use the language. And this is the, the eternal dilemma that the language teacher has. It's like, what do I do in my classes? Do I try to teach the language in the class? And the answer usually is yes, because that's simply what the students expect. Mm-hmm. And they expect that because that's how they learnt at school themselves. Right, so do I try and do that? And usually the answer is yes, because that's what the students want. The big question is, I mean, in a perfect world, the question I would ask would be, well, what happens if instead of teaching the language to the student in the class, you use the class time to talk about with the students their learning habits, what they do at home, what they're reading, how they're reading, um, how they are getting speaking practice. Um, and then you then do everything you can to encourage them to go off and then practice the learn the language by themselves during the week. Like that, there's no mm. question in my mind that that's the, that's the best way to approach teaching because you can't learn a language by going to two classes a week in a language school for an hour and a half. You can't do it. You have to be, the work is done by yourself. You know, when you're as a student, when you're sitting in a class and you're listening to the teacher, that's not learning. That's listening to a teacher. Learning has to be done by yourself. When you're sat there struggling with a text or struggling with a conversation, it's through that personal struggle that you kind of emerge the other side, a better, more confident speaker of the language. And it's just fundamentally not suited to a classroom. Um, so it seems to me that, you know, the best thing you can really do is just to try and, and use your class time. You've got to give students what they want. That's the challenge as, for a teacher. But, you know, as much as you can, you know, the best teacher will be the teacher that actually where the student leaves the classroom and thinks, oh, man, I'm so excited about reading English every day because that's when they're going to learn. It's not from the classroom. Yeah. And I think I've lost the thread of your original question. Well, there, but, uh, you know, you, you sort of moved it onto a, 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 a question which – I often think about, which is, you know, what should I be doing with this two hours that I have with these students? And, you know, should I be going through grammar exercises and, and stuff? Or should I just be um, giving them tasks to do? Or should I be just talking to them about their motivation for learning language and talking about techniques and things? How much homework should I give to them? All those things are, are considerations. But as part of that was the just the traditional idea that um, you should learn english by um doing gap fills um i I just find that sometimes it it makes people blinded by grammar i think it's sort of like you said teachers do it i do it in my classes often because it's what the students it's what the students expect and i'm just saying that i often have to do it because it's what they expect and well, exactly. I, I, I don't have time to, de- to, to sort of reprogram the way that they <laughs> uh, think about learning a language. You know, I just can't. I, I don't have time to do it. Yeah. 
But let's not gloss over what you mentioned just there, which is mm. that, um, you know, like you focus on grammar and, you know, learning a language through grammar. We know that grammar, if, if you compare vocabulary and grammar, the estimates vary, but many people will say that grammar, if you talk about how much, you know, in a conversation, what is communication, mm. grammar is responsible for perhaps 10% of your communication. Yeah. It's not much. The rest is vocabulary, body yeah. language, things like that. The, you know, the, the whole education, I mean, a, a good question would be why teach languages in a classroom in, at all? Mm. I mean, why? It's a, it's a real question. Why teach any subject in a classroom? And um, the the answer is, it's just, it's because the, uh, the education system that we have was put in place for uh, industrializing, newly industrialized countries which needed a reliable way to produce people who could um, work on a production line and produce manufactured goods. Uh, every The world has changed a lot since then, but the education system has just been kind of patched and moved off course and tweaked. But really, you know, mo- it's a pretty widely held view that an education system needs overhauling from the ground up and reimagining from the beginning. And if you think like if we were if we were to start the school system from zero from a blank page, and the question is how would we teach languages? There's no way on earth we'd sit and give people gap fill exercise. I mean, anyone that knows what they're talking about, anyone that's actually gone off and learned a language, and I'd be very interested to know the people who you know design the curriculums for for schools. You know, have you know ha- how many languages have they learned? Like really, you know. Um, what's their practical experience? But the but you know the people who have actually done it, there's no way that they would uh, they would they would base any system on grammar because it just grammar just does not feature in the hierarchy of important things in language learning. I'm I just always uh, so aware of how I'm um, like having to deal with people's preconceptions, and people are so convinced often that grammar is the is is the most important thing you know yeah. that i often have to work quite hard to persuade them that it's not and then well, and, there's, and, there's and they're still and they're still not convinced so often i i, I continue to do uh, exercises that i'm skeptical about just because i feel like well I, you know uh, it's just too difficult to persuade you to do it any other way so okay we'll do it your way uh, you know the, i mean i think one thing to to an approach to take here is what's known as the negotiated syllabus, which you probably mm. come across in your reading. And it's the idea that you should, you know, don't just teach what's in the textbook, but actually talk to the students. And I used to do this when I, when I taught English in, in, in Japan, I used to sit down with my students and I'd say, look, let's talk about how we're going to learn in these classes. All right. And then we, and we do that. We, we talk about, I'd ask them, how have you learned before and what's worked? And usually what would come out is, well, I've done all this studying and nothing really worked. <laughs> and so, so, so that, you know, you get them to, realize that and then at that point then you can come in and say all right well why not do something different how about we try this what do you think is you should do in in an ideal world and then if you get them to realize actually they need to be spending more time listening and reading by themselves it's like okay is that something you're willing to do maybe the answer is no i don't have time i can only come to these two classes all right well if you if all you can do is come to these english lessons twice a week we've just kind of established that there's not much point to studying grammar and we know that you should be doing listening and reading more 
So how can we use this time? You know, and you go through this process of kind mm, of absolutely, yeah. what you do. The trouble you run into is if you've got end of term exams that they have to pass or, or a school that obliges you to teach in a certain way where students expect the textbook or even worse, where you have a kind of drop in system where students can just kind of come kind of drop into any, any class. What, what I have is, is students expect the textbook because they've bought it. You know, they, they were sent right. an email that says, okay, you're registered for your course. You need to buy this book and they have to go out and buy the book and it costs them quite a lot of money. And then it's like, well, okay, <laughs> we better do the book then since you've paid for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, then, then you know, then it's a question of, of being creative, isn't it? So, so what have mm. you got in? And in most good books, you do have texts yeah. of science. So, okay, well, how can we? You know, at, at the very least, like the first thing that all the students should be doing is really devouring these texts that they have available in the books, whether in ideally at home, but if not, then in class time. And then you know, the way to use the book might be to say, okay, well, I understand you bought the book, but you always have to deal with the reality of the. Of the um, of the situation, there's a term for this, isn't it? Like the the what, what's the what's the academic term for this? The the the, the, the idea it's the idea that you have to acknowledge the the reality of your situation. I can't remember what it what it is, mm. but basically the, the fact that the, the students have bought, bought and paid for a textbook is a reality that is present in the classroom. So you have to acknowledge that in in the learning. Yeah, and so right. so you know maybe then you'd say, okay, well you bought and paid for this textbook. So all this stuff that all these exercises and stuff, go and do them at home. And then if they don't do them well, at least you've done the the work yeah. in class. You know is is going to be important, and ideally you've got them to acknowledge is important as well. So that's the ideal situation. It, I listen. It's tough because of all the you know, student expectations, schools, the way they operate, the need for predictability and reliability and outcomes. It's tough. That's why the whole system basically needs burning down to the ground and um, and starting again from the ground up. To be fair to the textbooks, I have to say, they, they do attempt to cover all the bases because they do have, you know, pretty good resource packs that, that contain more communicative exercises. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they fill the textbooks with listening and reading texts and things. And the, the language that they are teaching, the grammar and vocab that they are teaching, is presented in context usually. And if you follow the course of the book, if you follow the instructions in the teacher's book, and you understand the, the, the approach that they're using, often it is actually based on many of the things that Stephen Krashen has, has written about and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. so you know, there, there's, there's a hell of a lot of work goes into uh, these course books. Oh, and, no doubt, no doubt. And it's possible no to adapt them in certain, in different directions and things like that. So somehow we ended up talking about the experience of being a teacher here. Uh, that's uh, I, can talk, I can talk about this all day. Yes, I mean, uh, yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't, I mean, listen, I think, you know, what we're talking about here really is, is, is classroom teaching. Mm-hmm. And it's the reality of of in, of industrialized classroom teaching. Uh, I mean, you're right that these textbooks are, in many cases, excellent. The amount of work that's gone into them is, is fantastic. They are excellent at the job of providing um, the most practical resources possible for a teacher who has to teach a group of 20 students. Yeah. Which in itself is not an ideal situation. So, you know... Um, I think ultimately what we kind of need to return to is just this, this the, most, the simplest possible equation of the teacher and the student. You know, you sit, sitting in a cafe across the table from a student, 
then you've got some that's something you can really work with you know i mean you know what it's like to have private students when you've got someone that comes to you willing ready yeah. wants to learn is hungry you can do that that student will learn by themselves you just have to kind of guide them so like it's a question of like really we just all just have to think about how can we bring some of that magic into into a classroom and then it, so it all comes down to the teacher and what they're able to do mm-hmm. you know it's tough and and for those of my listeners who are just studying on their own then you know we can talk a bit again about uh, what you said at the beginning of this whole conversation about just the the importance of doing plenty of listening and reading uh, to yeah. to um, resources that are compelling material compelling material uh, i've got one more question for you before we um, call it a day here and that's just um you, you talked about the importance of uh, vocabulary that that that's really what carries the majority of the meaning in a, in a sentence there's so much vocabulary to remember, especially in English. How the hell do you remember all the new vocab? Well, the reason that people have trouble remembering vocabulary is usually a result of the methods that they are using to learn a language. Now, my aunt, I mean, there is a, there's a lot to say about memorizing uh, vocabulary. I've created entire courses about this. But what I found is... The simplest answer I can give here is that what I found is that if you are spending all your time reading and listening to compelling content in the language you're learning and you're doing it every day and you're choosing material that is just above your current level, what you'll find is that it will go in naturally. Most likely, people are not doing one of those things that I've just mentioned. So the first thing I'd say is start doing that and just watch what happens. Don't expect to remember everything right away. Uh, let it Give it time to go in. Give it plenty of repetition. And, um, and then you, you will be amazed by what happens. Okay. And we can probably see this in action uh, with your whole Italian experiment, which is going to start well, soon. When is that starting? So I'm actually in the middle right now of um, releasing my, my German course, which is called German Uncovered, and it's, it's for people to learn German through story, so through, through this whole method that I'm talking about. And uh, so basically I'm trying to get that off my plate first and um, <clears throat> get the course launched and out there uh-huh. because it's, 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 we are really making it very, very uh, – the course is just fantastic. We put so much into it. We want to make sure we get it right. And um, we're going to be working with all the students that are coming into that as well. So we just, you know, we need to make sure we do that right and um, serve the, the students as best we can with that. And as soon as that's finished, I'm going to press play on the Italian project and um, and watch what happens. Okay. How come so, I – yeah, go on, sorry. So. Yeah, so for, any, for anyone listening, I mean, hopefully, I'd say middle, uh, end, certainly by the end of June 2018, when we're listening. Okay, all right. How do my listeners find you online? Well, if you want to follow this Italian project and laugh at me along the way, then you should go to uh, my YouTube channel, probably. Well, I'll be, I'll be doing, I see, I haven't quite figured out the best way to document this yet, because no one wants to sit and watch me reading a book. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we've got some practical things to work out there. Um, but... The um, there will be videos on my YouTube channel, which if you just go to YouTube and search for Ollie, Ollie Richards, O L L Y, yeah, uh, 
then you'll find my channel there. I'll also be writing blog posts about it. So if you go to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com, then you will see my my blog. And my blog posts will probably be more kind of summaries of, of what I've been doing, you know, with with the videos embedded in the blog posts, so probably the, if you want like the real kind of live up to the minute version, go to the you go to YouTube. If you want to follow from a more general perspective, then uh, yeah, go to the go to iwillteachyourlanguage dot com, and um, and you should find it there. Okay, all right, fantastic. Thanks for talking to me again on the podcast. Well, thanks for listening. I mean, I don't know how you put up with so much so much rambling from this side of the microphone I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, quite an achievement i don't know i think you're maybe being a bit modest there it's not just rambling <laughs> is it well not entirely i, I, I think there's some i, I think I'll, I'll place i'll place that in the uh in, in the safekeeping of of uh of the judgment of your listeners okay well my listeners can judge whether it was just all meaningless rambling or whether there was actually some content at the heart of it i I suspect it'll be the second option there. Um, well, let's hope, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Listeners, you can always let us know what you think uh, whenever you listen to these episodes by just putting your thoughts in English in the comments section. That's always nice. It's always nice to read your thoughts and stuff there. Um, and, well, have a nice afternoon, Ollie. And um, best of luck with the Italian. I'll be, you know, interesting, interested to see what happens. Interesting, interested. I was going to make some wise crack about about you being an English learner there and not being clear, not being clear on the difference, but You've, yeah, you, I, I, I resist the temptation. As long as you don't find the conversation bored, then um, I will be. I won't take offence. That was always, that was always one of the most irritating comments that I ever had as an English teacher. Uh, I haven't had it for a while, thank goodness. But that's when a student you, you, you're teaching a class and it's maybe a new class and you know you're doing your best to try and keep everyone happy and everyone involved and motivated and you spot out of the corner of your eye one student who for whatever reason is just not into it even if like lots of other people are there's always one student who's like seems to be not very into it and they give you a little look sometimes and then at the end of the class they hot they hang back at the end and they come and see you and you think oh god here we go and the student comes up to you and for, uh, often the, the question is, what is my level? And it is my level right for this class. And yeah. the, But the worst one is, teacher, I'm very boring in this class. <laughs> there you go. Like, yes, the you classroom. are very boring in this class. Yeah. You really need yeah. to you yeah. know, raise your yeah. game. Little did you know how accurate that statement was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, have a, have a good rest of the day. Thanks, Luke. And, uh, Good to talk to you, as always. Yes, you too. Good to talk. So that's it. I, I don't really need to say much more at this point, I think. So much has already been said in this episode. There's a hell of a lot in there to, to explore and to get uh, rich reward from. Just great advice and, obviously, just the English being used in that whole conversation. I certainly hope that you found this to be compelling material. It's something you, that you should be able to go back to, listen again, and, and that sort of thing. So um, I will teach you a language.com. That's where you can find Ollie's uh, blog posts and his podcast, um, and also details of other things, including his Italian uh, project that he's going to be doing, um, I guess, sort of starting about now. 
I would imagine. Uh, check it all out on IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com. He's also on YouTube. Uh, premium subscribers to this podcast, you will get a video summary of these two episodes soon. I'll be just um, videoing myself, I guess, just reflecting on uh, some of the things that were said in this uh, double episode and just kind of sum- summarizing the main points just to kind of clarify the benefit for your English or to clarify certain techniques or strategies that you could use and just trying to keep it simple. Okay, so that'll be a video that you'll be able to, to see uh, soon. Uh, sign up for premium at teacherluke.co.uk slash premium if you know what's good for you. Um, but otherwise, I'll speak to you soon. That's it for now. Um, and uh, catch you later, all right? Have a good one. Have a nice journey home. Enjoy your bus journey or your train journey or your helicopter flight or your camel ride or whatever it is you're doing or skateboard journey if you're like a cool skateboarding kid, skateboarding home um, or whatever it is. You know, maybe you're on a Segway. If you are on a Segway, then really, what is that necessary? Could you not just, you can't walk? No, I mean, I, I um, it's not... Uh, What am I talking about? I don't know. I'll stop and I'll speak to you soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.